You're listening to Dragon Ore, book three of the Dawning of Power trilogy, written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information, maps, and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 15. To depend solely on a single food source is to risk starvation. Ruder Dunn, Farmer Near-complete darkness hindered the crew's efforts to find a clear path when entering the shallows. Though the firelight was still distant, it cast dancing reflections across the water, making it even more difficult to find obstacles. In a bold spectacle, the sharks pursued the ships into the shallows. At time, it seemed they would surely become trapped in the sand, yet they remained a threat. "'Bring out the spears!' Kenward ordered. "'There's no place for them to hide in the shallows. I want them to feel our sting!' Katrin watched as crewmen leveled long spears at the sharks. Some simply stabbed at those that drew too close. Others threw their spears with all their strength into the sharks that circled the ship. Most had little effect or simply missed their mark, but one landed a mortal blow. The badly injured shark thrashed wildly, churning the water, and its brethren turned on it quickly tearing it apart. The grisly display made Katrin's stomach churn as she imagined what it would feel like to be pulled apart. Deeply disturbed, she kept her eyes toward the firelight. The closer they came, the larger the fire grew, as if feeding off their very energy. Occasionally, a dark silhouette blocked out parts of the fire, but little more could be seen. When finally the sharks were left behind, Kenward slowed the ship. It would be risky to go any farther in these conditions, he said. We could do it if that fire wasn't ruining our night vision. I want to know who started it. You're starting to show the wisdom of a seasoned captain, Nora said. If you call being scared out of my shorts wisdom, then I guess it's so. Fool boy. Drop the boats, Kenward said. Arm yourselves and be ready for a fight. I've no doubt they know we're here, and they may be laying in wait. Despite the fact that whoever it was probably already knew they were coming, the crew did their best to remain silent. After the boats had been lowered, Katrin stood next to Chase, waiting her turn to climb down. You stay here he said. We'll go find out what's going on. Not a chance, Katrin said, and she grabbed the railing and jumped over. Scrambling down the boarding net, she gave no one else the opportunity to dissuade her. Waiting on the ship would have been pure torture. Better to see for herself. Farsi climbed into the boat with her, handing her an oar, and dipped his own. Soon they glided through the relatively calm waters. The fire could be seen through the withered remains of saltbark trees, many of which appeared to have been smothered in volcanic ash. An oily film coated the water, and at times was so thick that it clung to their oars. 
As they moved past a small island, their view of the fire was finally unobstructed, though there seemed to be no one about. Do you see anyone? Farsi asked in a whisper. No, Katrin said. The fire was built on a wooden platform that extended between the roots of a saltbark tree and a nearby rock outcropping. Looking back to the other boats waiting in the distance, she saw Chase slip into the dark water. It looks like a trap, Chase said. Hold back. He and Bryn used their oars to slow the boat, keeping it in relative darkness. Wait here. Flexing the muscles of his arms and shoulders, Chase silently lowered himself into the water. With his belt knife between his teeth, he slipped beneath the surface. Swimming as far as he could on a single breath, Chase moved to the other side of the fire, and there he slowly broke the surface. Not far away, someone else watched from the water. Giving them no time to escape him, Chase moved closer. With one swift motion, he brought up his knife to the man's throat. One move, and I give my knife a good yank. Behind him, the water stirred, and Chase had no time to react before the tip of a crude spear was driven under his chin, slamming his mouth shut. One move, and you'll be a head on a stick. Trying to locate Chase again, having lost sight of him when he went underwater, Katrin looked about, cursing the darkness and the light. A commotion on the far side of the platform got her attention, and she leaned out far, trying to get a better look. "'By the gods! Is it you?' came Chase's voice over the water. "'Benjen! Fasha!' Still overextended, Katrin's knees buckled and she nearly fell face first into the water, but Farsi grabbed her and pulled her back into the boat. Their boat swayed, nearly capsizing, but Katrin looked up in time to see Benjen climb from the water. Standing on the platform, the flames casting a rosy glow over him, he looked nothing like the man Katrin remembered. Long, mostly gray hair was plastered to his face and fell to his shoulders. His beard, which he had always kept trimmed, was now long and straggly. Thinner, but still well-muscled, he wore only a loincloth. A moment later, Fasha and Chase joined him. She wore little more than Benjen, and her skin shone like gold. Katrin could form no words, and began to sob. A wave of relief crashed over her, and she tumbled in the surf. Only Farsi's strong hands kept her from falling over, and she clung to him, overwhelmed by emotion. I'm here, little miss, Benjen said, his voice rough and gravelly. Katrin could take no more. Standing, she jumped into the water and swam as fast as she could to meet Benjen, who immediately swam to meet her. When at last they touched, Katrin latched on to him and would not let go. Still sobbing, she clung to him, all the way back to the slippery eel. I... 
thought you were dead. We searched. I know you did, little miss. I know. The currents carried us away, and though we saw you, you could not see us. You never made it close enough to hear us, but we know you tried. As the water slipped by, Catherine looked up to see a dryad peeking around her saltbark tree. With a silent thank you, Catherine closed her eyes and cried. Shaved, washed, and clothed, Benjen looked more like the man Catrin remembered, but the gray dominating his hair and beard made him look much older. As he raised a mug of water, his hand trembled, and she tried to hide her concern. A few planks of my deck held together, Fasha said. Benjen and I used it as a raft and paddled our way back to the shallows. We nearly lost the raft when the cloud of fire came. We both ducked underwater and held our breath for as long as we could. When we came back up, the raft was far away. Fasha is a strong swimmer, Benjen said, pride in his eyes. She caught up to it and brought it back to me. You could have caught it yourself, Fasha said, if you hadn't already begun to take a chill. Thought I was going to lose him for a while there, but the saltbark leaf seemed to help a great deal. That and being dry and warm. Wood was hard to find, Benjen said, and neither of us wanted to be without a fire. When I was strong enough, we swam to the Jean ship, and each day we brought back more wood. The Jean had fairly well stripped the ship of anything else of use, but we were happy to burn what was left. I wanted to build a boat and sail back to the trade waters, but Benjen insisted you would come back. Thank the gods he was right. Otherwise, I might have had to feed him to the sharks. Katrin told the tale of their adventures. Benjen and Fasha listened, obviously having a difficult time believing all they heard. As if he knew his name was being spoken, Prios joined them, keeping his eyes downcast. Do not fear us, Benjen said. You helped save Katrin, and for that, I'll always be grateful. Prios bowed his head to Benjen and Fasha, then slipped into the shadows, seemingly reluctant to be the focus of attention. When Katrin began to tell more of Kyrian, a hush fell over the room, and Benjen looked thoughtful. You're attached to this dragon in some way? he asked. I won't claim to understand it, Katrin said, but yes, I think so. He was waiting for us when we reached the Keys of Terhilion, and part of me hopes to see him again, but I don't know if I ever will. He's so regal and beautiful, I find it difficult to describe. Belegra was willing to torture and destroy him for this. Holding out her hand, she revealed the dragon ore carving. Even in the dim lamplight, Katrin's panther gleamed. Its simplicity made it all the more striking. Smooth lines and subtle curves showed the mighty cat, alert and ready to pounce. 
So aggressive was its stance that it was uncomfortable to view the carving from the front. Yet there was playfulness about it. Where did you get that? Benjamin asked, reaching his hand out slowly, seemingly almost afraid to touch it. Belegra used Kyrian to create dragon ore. I brought this chunk of ore back with me, but it seemed unbalanced, as if it needed to be in a different form. So I carved it. How did you come up with the cat shape? Osborne asked. It's a panther, I think. I just looked into the stone before I started carving, and I could see the shape of the panther already inside it, waiting. Waiting for you to set it free. Katrin gave a start and looked up to meet eyes with Prios. You set the panther free, just as you did for me and for Kyrian. You freed the panther from a prison of stone, but you have forgotten something, something special, something important. Is something wrong, little miss? I'm fine, Katrin said. Sorry, Prios can speak in my mind, and he was reminding me that I've overlooked something. Looking into the eyes of the carving, Katrin opened herself to it, seeking its name. Ko. More a thought than a voice in her mind, the name came to her and she spoke it aloud. It felt powerful and right, and though the panther looked no different than it had before, Katrin found she saw Ko in a new way. The name felt right. It's a good name, Prios said in her mind. Seems quite fitting, Benjamin said at almost the same time, and others nodded in agreement. I saved all the chunks and slivers of stone that I cut away, and I plan to experiment with them. My gut tells me there's a great deal I can learn from them. You must use caution, Benjamin said. You know the power of dragon ore and how devastating a mistake could be. I know, Katrin said as she carefully slid Ko back into her pocket. Can Prios speak in others' minds? Fasha asked suddenly. I mean, other than yours, Katrin? I could speak to Belegra and the others in the cadre. I never tried with anyone else except you. It is more difficult over distance. I find it easiest if I can touch the person I wish to speak to. Katrin relayed his words, and Fasha seemed disappointed, but Benjamin looked thoughtful. If someone can hear Prios, he said, then that would mean they almost certainly have access to Istra's power. Yes, Prios answered in Katrin's mind, and she relayed his answer. Prios, Benjamin said, would you mind trying to talk to those of us on the ship? If we know someone has access to the power, then maybe Katrin can help them develop their abilities. I'm not sure how much help I'll be, Katrin said. I want to do this. You can free these people too. I want to help you free them all. His words were an inspiration, but they also brought tremendous responsibility, the weight of which was nearly crushing. It made her feel as if she alone were responsible for the fate of the world. 
The feeling passed, and she told the rest what Pryo said. His words brought tears to Fasha's eyes, and Benjen shook his hand. Pryo seemed unsure of how to respond, but then he reached out and laid his hand on Benjen's shoulder. Benjen's eyes showed disappointment when Pryo simply shook his head. Chase and Osborne were the next to be disappointed, but then Prios laid his hand on Strom's shoulder. I heard him! He said, be free! Strom cried out, and Prios nodded his head. Katrin and the others were stunned, and no one said a word. Prios continued around the room, and when he laid his hand on Fasha, she gasped. In the next moment, she underwent a transformation. First, her face flushed. Then she smiled. Then she cried. Prios simply nodded when Kenward, too, heard his words. Brother Vaughn and Grubb were the only others among those left on the ship who could hear Prios. Grubb seemed more confused than excited. In contrast, the rest seemed to have nothing but questions, and Katrin sighed, knowing answers were far too rare. As the hammock cradled Katrin, the motions of the ship lulled her, and she let her mind wander. So much of her world had changed, and she couldn't imagine what would come next. With the help of Prios, she had attempted to teach the others how to access Istra's power, but they had no success. The others seemed incapable of connecting themselves with the flow. Maybe, someday, she would find a way to teach others, but for the moment she made herself think about other things. Images of her father and uncle and her home flooded her mind. Tears coursed down tracks that Katrin thought might carve valleys in her flesh if she cried any more, but still the tears came. You will see your homeland again, and you will set them all free. Prios's voice was like a whisper in her mind, and Katrin wondered if she had only dreamed it, but sleep claimed her in the next breath. His voice whispered in her dreams, caressing her, and she wrapped herself in his energy like a warm embrace. Sleep well. In the morning light, the lookouts scoured the waters for a safe course. Retracing their route back through the massive fallen columns, they moved into slightly deeper water and for a while Katrin felt almost safe. With Benjen by her side, the world seemed a brighter place. Sadness still clung to her for the loss of so many others, but at least he had been returned to her, as if the gods had truly shown mercy. Fasha never seemed to be far away, and Katrin wondered at the change in both of them. The looks they exchanged often spoke of more than friendship. Even in calm waters, there was much work to be done, and most of their time was spent assisting the crew. Weakened repairs were mended, and the slippery eel was once again watertight. 
When the end of the shallows finally came into view, Katrin felt a stirring in her stomach. She was another step closer to home, but no one could know what awaited them in deep water. Get the fishing gear ready, Kenward ordered, and the crew began making preparations, all the while watching the seas for any signs of sharks. After the trawl tubs had been dropped, everyone waited in tense anticipation. Knowing they must fish or starve, the threat of sharks had them all on edge. Kenward took no chances, though. Pull in the trawls, he commanded. If we've caught anything, there'll be blood in the water. I want to be well away from here before we drop the tubs again. Though the fish were biting, what they had caught was small, and Kenward's precautions made the process of filling the hold painfully slow. Big sharks were sighted on several occasions, but Kenward did his best to use the wind and currents to his advantage, and they filled the hold without any attacks. Exhausted, the crew finally allowed themselves to relax. Katrin stood at the stern and watched the waters slip away, silently hoping to see Kyrian flying on the winds. Pryo stood by her side but said nothing, comforting her with his presence alone. By the light of a small lamp, Chase looked at his companions and smiled. He and Strom and Osborne had been through a great deal together, and now Prios was quickly becoming a part of their group. Chase found that he had sorely misjudged Prios. His quiet and reserved demeanor was unnerving. The fact that he had no tongue made it almost impossible to look upon him for the images it brought to mind, but Chase was beginning to see beyond those things. Slowly, Prios revealed himself as a vibrant personality, with both a mischievous streak and a sense of humor. Though there was always work to be done on a ship, Chase liked to make certain that they all spent some time together, and their late-night talks often lasted until the sunrise. Most times, Katrin would join them. But on this night, she had complained of a headache and gone to her hammock earlier than usual. Strom began telling tales, and Pryo seemed enthralled by his dramatic reenactments of events. After hearing stories of how Chase had trained at being stealthy, Pryo made eye contact with Chase. Using his amazing ability of expressing himself with only his facial expressions and body language, he sized Chase up, smiled, and issued an unspoken challenge. Though Chase could not hear Prios speak in his mind, he had no trouble deciphering the challenge. If you're such a mighty sneak, then prove it. What would be the hardest thing to steal on this ship? Strom asked with a knowing grin. Katrin's staff? Osborne asked. Prios turned his nose up and Strom snorted. Too easy. She never takes Co out of her pocket. I bet she sleeps with him under her pillow. Prios gave a firm nod. Co it is, Strom said. Chase smiled, put his hands behind his head, and yawned. Is that all? 
A sly look crossed Prios's face, and he waved for Strom to lean closer. Reaching out, he laid his hand on Strom's shoulder. Ha! Strom barked. He says to make it a real challenge, I will stand guard at the prow, and Osbo will stand guard at the stern. If either of us sees you, then you've failed. And if I succeed? Prios shrugged, seeming to think it was unlikely, and that just made Chase even more determined. If you succeed, Strom said, we'll all bow down and show due respect for the master sneak. Good enough for me, Chase said. Osborne strained his eyes and ears, trying his best to catch Chase in the act. Though a part of him wanted Chase to succeed, it would be a true victory only if they did their best to stop him. At the slightest sound, Osborne whipped around and ran to the gunwales. Had he heard a splash? Watching the dark water slide by, he saw nothing but the usual wake left by the eel. Convinced he'd been hearing things, he returned to his post. No more sounds, save the snapping of sails and the creak of rigging, and the sound of the water rushing by broke the silence. Even the crew was silent, as if they knew what was transpiring, and Osborne found the stillness unnerving. When Strom walked around the corner, he nearly leaped from his skin. Did you see anything? No, Osborne said. I thought I heard something, but I didn't see anything. Strom just shook his head. I didn't either. But Prios came to get me, and Chase is all smiles. How do you think he got by us? I don't know, Osborne said. I think he may have tricked me. Let's go find out. As they entered Chase's cabin, Osborne was surprised to see Chase as dry as tinder. I was certain you'd gone over the side. That's what I wanted you to think, Chase said with a triumphant grin. So let's see it, Strom said, his arms crossed over his chest. Chase just grinned and reached for his pocket. But then the color drained from his face, and his victorious bravado suddenly changed to anxious desperation. For a moment, he searched his pockets, and then he searched the cabin. She's going to kill me! You never actually stole it, did you? Strom asked, seemingly almost hopeful. I swear to you, I took it, and now it's gone! Tense silence hung over the group, and Osborne thought Chase might actually cry. When Prios's shoulders began to shake, the others turned to him, thinking he was overcome with remorse, but he surprised them all when he made the first sound any of them had ever heard from him. Though the gift of speech had been taken from him, he proved that Belegra had not taken the life from him when he laughed. So pure and joyous was his laughter that the others simply waited in silence to find out what could possibly have tickled him so. With a look of apology, he ended Chase's torment as he produced Co from a concealed pocket in his shirt. How did you... When did... 
Oh, for the love of everything good and right in this world, forget it. I don't want to know, Chase said, and without saying any more, he stormed into the night. Osborne looked at Strom, and for the first time in a long time, they laughed. That really wasn't very nice, Katrin said when Prios told her about how he had tricked Chase. A sly smile crept across his face, yet a hint of blush shaded his cheeks. And I would appreciate it if you would challenge him to steal someone else's things next time. Again, Prios simply smiled in response. Every day they spent together seemed to bring them closer. With increasing frequency, he showed that, in many cases, he could communicate without the need to speak in her mind. It seemed he had a talent for expressing himself without speech or words. Others, too, had made note of this talent, and Katrin was grateful for it, as it seemed to make his life aboard the ship much easier. Knowing he could communicate in other ways just made the times when he did speak even more special. Though I look forward to seeing you reunited with your family and homeland, I must admit that I am afraid. Afraid? What are you afraid of? Katrin asked. What if your people do not accept me? What if your family does not like me? I'm not certain my story will give them reason to trust me, and I fear I will only make things worse for you. With his shoulders hunched and eyes cast down, Katrin could feel his pain and anxiety. Though she tried to put herself in his position to understand how he must be feeling, she found it impossible. The circumstances of his life were just too far from anything she had ever experienced, and though she could sympathize, she knew she would never completely understand. Once they come to see your true nature, they will come to feel as I do. And how exactly do you feel about me? Though he did not truly speak, it was as if Katrin could hear the tremble in his voice. Something in his emotion was betrayed to her, and she sensed his fear and anxiety. In that moment she realized the courage it had taken for him to ask. I think, she hesitated, and he raised his eyes to meet hers. In them she saw not only fear, but hope as well. I think I love you. When land was finally sighted again, Katrin could barely contain her excitement. All of them had known the slippery eel was too small to make the journey to the Falcon Isles safely, but they had unanimously chosen expedience over caution. Storms had chased them and rogue waves appeared without warning, but somehow they had survived. The Falcon Isles were the last stop Katrin planned to make before she returned to the Godfist, and she did not intend to stay long. Nora insisted they take a week to make proper repairs, but Katrin hoped the job could be done in less time. Each day seemed longer than the last, and she wasn't certain how much longer she could stand the anticipation. As the smaller islands slid by, 
Katrin moved to Nora's side. Fasha and Benjen stood not far away, and they turned when Katrin addressed Nora. Will you leave from the Falcon Isles to go back to the Trader's Wind? A big part of me wishes to do just that, but I know I would only spend my days worrying over your fate. I've come too far to leave you just now. I must see this to the finish. I wish to see you reunited with your family, and only when you are safe will I return to my ship, Nora said with a firm nod. Thank you, Katrin said. I owe you and your family a great debt. I only hope I can find a way to repay you some day. Nonsense, Nora said. We've only done what was right. You owe us nothing. Given the chance, I'd do it all again. Trade vessel ahead, the lookout called, and the crew gathered at the gunwales, anxious to see another human face. It was thrilling to see someone besides her shipmates, and excitement ran through her as the ship slid by. The crew of the trade ship eyed them with suspicion, but a few were brave enough to offer a wave. There was the chance that hostile ships would also be in the area, and most kept their eyes to the seas, but there was still an air of celebration aboard the ship. Grubb prepared a special meal using spices and stores normally kept under strict ration, and many a tale was told. Katrin smiled and laughed more than she had for a very long time, and when some of the crew members began to sing, she danced. Straining under the weight of the planks she carried, Katrin asked Benjen to stop so they could rest. The walk from the lumber mill to the docks was not long, but the way was crowded and it took effort to weave their way through. When a man passed by whom Katrin thought she recognized, she assumed she must be mistaken. Things have changed, Benjen said, reading her face. That was Kenmar Wills. You know him because he used to live in Harberton. It would seem there are many people here from the Godfist. This entire town has grown up in the time we've been gone. I can only imagine what we'll find when we return to the Godfist. Katrin tried not to let his words dampen her excitement, but beneath her desire to get home was the petrifying fear that things had changed too much, that her home no longer existed. With a grunt, she lifted her end of the planks, and they began walking back to the eel. That's the last of it, Benjen said when they reached the deck. Take the rest of the day off, Canward said. We've got the materials we need now. I need to go look for someone, Katrin said after retrieving her staff. Benjen frowned. Nat Derzinger? Yes. If you must, Benjen said with a sigh. I don't want you going alone, though. Take Chase with you. Though she wanted to go alone, Katrin didn't argue. She'd considered asking Prios to come along, but what she truly needed was time to talk to Nat, alone. Chase seemed to agree with Benjen and followed her down the gangplank. It'll be good to have my feet on solid ground for a while, he said, and despite his casual tone, Katrin knew he would come whether she wished it or not. Though solid, 
the land itself created feelings of uncertainty, as there were still signs of devastation everywhere. It seemed unfathomable that an eruption so very far away could cause so much destruction. A distinct line stretched from coast to coast, showing how high the water had gotten. It was a wonder anyone had survived. The docks and the buildings that stood were apparently new construction, using materials recovered after the water receded. Most of the people they passed were busy with their own tasks and paid no attention to Katrin and Chase. A few cast suspicious glances, others hawked their wares. Katrin stopped to look at some sausages, knowing how Benjen loved them. She bought three varieties, and after she'd paid, she asked the man if he knew of Nat Derzinger. The man's face turned from friendly to sour, and he just pointed to a place at the end of the docks, where civilization ended and the forest began. Katrin thanked him, but he seemed eager to have her away from him and she and Chase began walking toward the end of the docks. When she saw birds take flight from behind a nearby building, Katrin wondered if word of her coming were already on its way to the Godfist. If it were, there was nothing she could do about it, and she just kept walking. We're not going to be able to find anyone out there, Chase said, but then he stopped short when a tall man stepped into their path. A skirt of reeds covered his loins, but the rest of his body was covered in red paint, with white and black markings painted strategically to make him look better muscled than he actually was. Atop his head was a crown of vines, and the black paint around his eyes gave him an angry appearance. He leaned on a simple wooden staff, but only when he spoke did Katrin recognize him. Greetings, Katrin. That concludes this episode of Dragon Ore. Thank you for listening. For news and the latest releases, visit patioracket.com.